Shalom and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. After surviving the Lodz Ghetto, Auschwitz, and Dachau, In 1945, Yehuda Sternfeld finally made it to what is now Israel. But his four brothers and sisters and both his parents perished in the Holocaust. He was only 16 years old. When three years later in 1948, Yehuda fought in Israel's war of independence, he knew the miracle that he was fighting to preserve. A safe haven for the world's most oppressed people, where he could start a new life, a new family, where the whole Jewish nation could be reborn. That first generation of Israelis and the two generations of Chalutzim, of pioneers who preceded them, were witness to a miracle a miracle more vast in scale than any since God and Moses split the sea and the Israelites escaped from slavery. A people who 2,000 years before had been nearly destroyed by the Roman Empire on that very land. Who for two millennia in exile wandered from country to country persecuted, expelled, slaughtered in crusades and pogroms, all leading to the modern period in which nearly all of Europe's Jews were wiped out in just five years. Israel was indeed a miracle, but not the kind of miracle we read about in the Torah, not like God splitting the sea with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. No, in the aftermath of the death of six million. Not waiting for a miracle from heaven, the Zionists took Jewish destiny into their own hands. They created a miracle in partnership with God, nudging or more like yanking God and history forward through necessity and sheer force of will. In the words of Theodore Herzl, im tirtzu enzo agada, if you will it, It is no dream. But it isn't just the survivors of the Shoah, the remnant of European Jewry, for whom Israel was a miracle. In the years following Israel's founding, over 900,000 Jews from Arab countries, Jewish communities from Yemen to Iraq to Morocco to Egypt, communities that had lived in peace for hundreds or thousands of years, They were plagued by an anti-Semitic fervor that forced them to flee their homes and forfeit all their belongings. 600,000 of them found refuge in Israel, and some of their descendants are with us tonight in the Greenstein Sanctuary. In the ensuing decades, Israel has absorbed over a million immigrants from Ethiopia and the Soviet Union who had been persecuted just because they were Jews. And in the last 18 months, Israel has taken in 15,000 Ukrainian Jews who are no longer safe at home. 
providing safe haven, a chance simply to live. For one of the world's most persecuted peoples, Israel's creation was one of the greatest social justice accomplishments in the history of the world, if not the greatest. But the miracle of Israel is not just that the state exists. It's the nature of its existence. Israel was envisaged by its founders to be a Jewish state, of course, but also a democratic one that upholds the rights of its minorities. In the words of Megillat Ha'atzma'ut, the Declaration of Independence, quote, Israel will foster the development of the country for the benefit of all its inhabitants. It will be based on freedom, justice, and peace as envisaged, as envisaged by the ancient prophets of Israel. It will ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all of its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, or sex. Arab inhabitants of the state of Israel will have full and equal citizenship and due representation, end, end quote. Israel has succeeded beyond anything its founders could have imagined, not just as a safe haven, not just as fertile ground where our ancient language would be reborn, but where Jewish music, literature, food, I guess I probably shouldn't have mentioned food on Yom Kippur, <laughs> but where Jewish pride, Jewish life could thrive once again. A world with a strong and vibrant Israel is all I have ever known. And nearly everyone in this sanctuary, nearly all Jews alive today, were either born after Israel's founding or were just children when its Declaration of Independence was signed. We can't imagine a world without it. And yet, the chutzpah required to take for granted that a democratic and Jewish state in our ancient homeland just exists would have been unimaginable for a hundred generations of our spiritual ancestors, and especially for Yehuda Sternfeld's generation. Yet the Israel that we inherited, democratic, protecting the dignity and rights of all its inhabitants, may not live on forever. There are, power, there are powerful forces with a very different vision of what the Jewish state should look like. In order to reach a governing coalition, last November, a governing majority, Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu formed a coalition with ultra-Orthodox and far-right parties that for decades were beyond the pale in Israel's civil society. The man Bibi chose for national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gvir, for years hung in his living room a picture of the worst Jewish terrorist, terrorist in modern times, Baruch Goldstein, who massacred, who murdered 29 Muslims in a mosque in Hebron in 1994. Not to be outdone, finance minister and minister in the defense ministry, Bitsalel Smotrich, said in March that the Israeli government should wipe out an entire Palestinian village presumably murdering or displacing its 7,000 inhabitants. But it's not just Arabs who have drawn the ire of this government. 
Netanyahu appointed Avi Maoz, the leader of an openly anti-LGBTQ party, who has also said that reform and conservative Judaism is a source of, quote, darkness. Bibi appointed him to be in charge of a newly formed Jewish identity authority. Though all synagogues, churches, and mosques receive state funding in Israel, this government has withheld funding for reform and conservative synagogues because our kind of Judaism, which insists that men and women should be equal, does not match their Judaism. This coalition is beholden to the ultra-Orthodox parties who have said that reformed Jews are worse than Holocaust deniers and who are dead set on passing a bill granting their young men a permanent military exemption so that they can study Torah all day while the rest of the country sends their 18 and 19-year-olds to defend Israel. With this as the backdrop, in March, the government introduced its judicial overhaul plan, which would radically shift the balance of power from the Supreme Court to the Knesset. The proposed legislation would give the ruling coalition much more control over how judges are appointed, severely limit the ways in which the court could strike down laws or restrict government actions, and most alarmingly, in the case that the court does overturn a law, it would allow the Knesset to override the court's ruling with just a simple majority. Essentially giving the coalition, no matter how slim their majority, completely unfettered and unchecked control of the country. But I think it's important to say that it is reasonable, it is reasonable to want to reform Israel's judiciary. You see, Israel's Supreme Court is more powerful relative to its elected politicians than nearly any other Western democracy. And centrist academics and the general public are open to some rebalancing, as long as it's done by broad consensus. But the set of proposals introduced by Justice Minister Yariv Levine is so extreme it would radically neuter the court's ability to be a check on the government at all. And the court is the only check because unlike America, Israel has no constitution. So its citizens and its democracy have no built-in protections from a government intent on doing bad things. With leaders who want to completely annex the West Bank and forestall any hope of a two-state solution, who want to give ever more control of daily life to religious authorities, and who are on the precipice of removing the only check on their power. The response of everyday Israelis has been a protest movement unseen in the history of Israel and really unseen in the history of Western democracy. Not just the left wing, not just the center, but many tens of thousands of the center right and even right wing of the country have joined in. Every Saturday night as Shabbat has ended for the last 38 weeks in a row, for nine months straight, hundreds of thousands have gathered every week to protest in cities all across Israel and even in settlements. Neither pouring rain nor scorching heat has stopped them from going to the streets 
nearly a quarter of Israel's population, over two million people, have attended at least one protest. That is a staggering number. It would be as if 76 million Americans turned out to protest, millions of them week after week after week. And as Americans, it is hard to fathom that level of commitment. Nine months straight of dedicating our Saturday night, not once going to the movies or out to dinner or even staying in to watch Netflix. I asked a close friend who has been going to the protest nearly every week what what it feels like to be there. And he said that it is a mixture of anger, sadness, strength, fighting for a country we believe in, a sense of history happening right in front of me, a knowledge that if we don't step up, we will lose it. The protest, their symbol is the Israeli flag, their chant, Democratia. Their goal, in the words of journalist Mati Friedman, to preserve the Israel that's presented in the Declaration of Independence, a Jewish state that is rooted in Jewish history and provides equal rights to minorities and different religions and different genders. That has always been the dream of Israel. It was written into that document on the first day of the state's life. But not everyone sees it that way. From the pro-overhaul side's perspective, a tiny unelected elite the Supreme Court, too often restricts the will of the people, especially related to settlement expansion, to Jewish preeminence, and increased power and funding for the ultra-Orthodox. And this has resulted in an Israel as divided as it's been in decades, maybe ever. This government, which rules with a small margin and yet demonstrates no regard for the will of the minority, has brought Israel to the brink. And it didn't have to be this way. There have been two other times when Jews had sovereignty, had self-determination in the land of Israel. The first began under King David 3,000 years ago. It lasted only through the reign of his grandson, whose kingdom was split apart by Jewish infighting a mere 73 years later. And then again, 800 years after that, the descendants of the Maccabees, the Hasmoneans, reunited Israel under Jewish control. But yet again, 73 years later, battles for power among groups of Jews split the nation and devastation followed. The Jews' next chance came in 1948, 2,000 years later, 75 years ago. In the words of Israel's last prime minister, Naftali Bennett, this is the third time that a sovereign Jewish state exists here in the land of Israel. The previous two times we failed to make it past the eighth decade. What a terrible price we paid. 2,000 years in miserable exile, under pogroms and humiliation and catastrophes, 
all because we succumbed to fraternal hate. Now, praise God, we have been granted a third opportunity. My brothers and sisters, there will not be another. The Yom Kippur Torah reading that we will read here tomorrow morning, it, it says, Ki ha-mitzvah hazot, this mitzvah, this instruction, lo bashamayim hi, it is not in the heavens above that you should say, who among us can go up to the heavens and get it for us? No, it is very close to you, in your mouth and in your heart to fulfill it. The rabbis in the Talmud interpreted this verse to mean that once God gave us the miracle of the Torah, it is in our hands to interpret, to figure out how to live by it. And God alone in the heavens above is not going to save this miracle, Israel. Lo bashamayim he, it is not in heaven. No, it is in our hearts, in our mouths, in our hands to keep the miracle alive. That is why millions of Israelis in this generation are out in the streets each week. They know like the early Zionists, the miracle of Israel is biyadenu, in our hands. And one of those Israelis is Tor Tzuk, one of the granddaughters of Yehuda Sternfeld. She told me, my grandfather was proud to serve, proud to fight to create this state, to create a whole new family here in Israel. So when I and my entire family, my aunts and uncles, cousins and siblings go to the protests each week on Saturday night in Tel Aviv, in Zichron Yaakov, in Haifa, we think about what our grandpa did. All the work that went into creating this state. And this is how our generation can keep the miracle of Israel alive. So what can we do as American Jews who can't vote in Israel's elections? Well, first, we can stay informed. We can read on our own or we can form a temple tribe who meets regularly to read about and discuss what's going on in Israel. And then we can speak out. In the words of author Rabbi Daniel Gordas, as American Jews, we can make it clear that we are a worldwide Jewish people committed to justice, committed to morality, and committed to making Israel the kind of country of which our children and grandchildren can continue to be proud. And we can speak with our pocketbooks. As a community, we already give millions of dollars to Israel every year. And we should. Of course we should. But we can ensure that every cent goes to organizations and groups fighting for the Israel we believe in. And I have hope. I do have hope. Because something has awakened in the soul of Israel. Millions in the moderate center who have been swept aside for far too long in Israeli politics have remembered its founder's dream and have decided that is worth fighting for. So I have hope. And hope really is the most Jewish of responses. As the national anthem enshrines Hatikva Bat Shnot Alpayim, the hope of 2,000 years kept us together 
as a people. Hope, that is something each one of us can do. But we can't do nothing. If we do, what will we tell our children and our grandchildren that we were blessed to live in the only 75 years out of the last 2,000 that Jews had a homeland, a safe haven, a place to thrive, a place to believe in. If we do nothing, what will be here for the great-grandchildren of Yehuda Sternfeld, for our children, for the Jewish people? It is in our hands to keep the miracle alive. Gamar Chatimatova. May we all be written in the book of life.